It is Christ the King Sunday, and we are at the end of the lectionary calendar, which, if you don't know what that is, the lectionary calendar is a, it's a long-standing church tradition. It's a three-year uh, cycle where we work through pretty much all of Scripture. And this is year two, or year B, as they would call it, the year of Mark. Year A is Matthew, Mark is year B, and then starting next week, we'll begin year C with Advent, and we'll be in the year of Luke. And today we, we end our lectionary year uh, kind of at the end of the story. Next week we start anticipating the birth, but at the end of this year, we acknowledge Christ as our King. We acknowledge the end, the finality of all that God has been doing, and we tell this story to remind ourselves of the reality that is already done, but we've not yet gotten to that finality. So it's, it's kind of a strange reality already, but not yet. Christ is the king. And yet we stand here with other authority that, that affects our lives. So we're, we're here to tell the story. And we have been walking through the sermon series and we have, we've spent three weeks walking through and what we've discovered is that week one, we talked about the, the hope that comes with this knowledge of the end, that Christ will come, that heaven and earth will be made one and all will be God's temple. We focus on that reality of the future, that God dwells in heaven, but is making all things new until that day. The future is guaranteed. There will be no more pain or death or mourning. It's already been achieved, but we've not experienced it yet. Because of our, our assurance and the faithfulness of God, we have hope. And then week two, we focused on the work of Jesus. Jesus entered into the holy heavenly temple, which isn't a literal temple, but rather the very presence of God face to face. The life and death of Jesus has provided the one and the only sacrifice for all sins, for all time, for all people. And we await Christ's emergence from the heavenly temple to usher in to the very presence of God, us. And because of the victory of Jesus, we are made clean and assured of our salvation, that we can be in the presence of God when God comes to make all things new. So last week, week three, we focused on what this work of Jesus Christ and God meant for us today and our reality here and now. We understand that all the work to be done in heaven is done. It is accomplished. It is completed, finished, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Jesus is the first word, and Jesus is the last, the alpha and the omega. And we can have confidence as a church that we don't need to be the first and last ourselves. And today we talk about Christ as king, what all that that means. And we're going to go back to Revelation, to, which is where we began this series, and we're going to go to the greeting that is given by John, the man who calls himself John, the revelator who wrote and offers us this incredible intro uh, to the letter. And it is a truth that we, we need to keep in our minds to understand all that the kingship of Christ means. So let's read the letter, and then we'll walk through each piece bit by bit. And so the letter begins this way. Grace and peace to you from the one who is and was and is coming, and from the seven spirits that are before God's throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
to the one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, who made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and always. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, including those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. This is so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and was and is coming, the Almighty. This is the word of God for the people of God, and let us say together, thanks be to God. So we have some interesting things in this greeting, and much of it we could say, yeah, that sounds familiar, and some of it we might say it doesn't sound so familiar. So we're going to walk through bit by bit and talk about what the reality of this, of this greeting offers us in the kingship of Christ. So first he starts with a, a classic Christian greeting. We see it in a lot of Paul's letters. We see it in a lot of letters even today that people will write. I know I like to include this, this kind of message in, in letters. It's grace and peace to you. And because of God's grace, we can actually have peace. Now the word grace it's a gift from God. That's what grace is. The word means gift. Peace is the wholeness of shalom. This kind of peace is a little different than how we talk about peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict, as we might want to initially describe it. When we talk about the peace of God, we don't talk about the absence of anything. We talk about the presence of wholeness, of peace. Our heart, soul, our mind, and strength experience true and complete wholeness because of the grace and gift of God that we have in Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. The one from whom we receive this peace is, was, and is to come. A lot of times in scripture we see was first, was, is, is to come, kind of a, a linear chronology if you will, but in John's mind and the revelation, first and foremost, God is. God is. Our God's presence and power is with us now. That is where we are, and that is where God is. God was the one who delivered Israel from Egypt and has been faithful to bring wholeness and peace to the entire creation through, throughout the stories. That's where everything has been going, and God was always there and has always been with us, yes. And God is to come fully into the presence of all creation at the renewal of all things on that great and glorious day to which we hope. But we understand that God's presence is. God's presence is both outside of and within time itself. And that's kind of strange. We're, we're pretty much locked into time. We are always and ever moving forward. We can't move backwards in time. So we're actually in, as some people will say, we're in a half reality because we can only operate one direction in this reality of time. But God is outside of that. God was and is and is to come. God is and is yet behind us and before us. And this understanding of God outside, this word is, is understood eternal. Eternal is beyond time. It's, it's a quality of time, but it's also a, a, a kind of, it, it, yeah, it's a quality, not a quantity. It is, God is, was, and is to come all at once, eternally, offering us grace and peace. And we can tell that story in our own lives, and we can certainly see it in others. And so this God offers us grace and peace. 
very, very large, very hard for us to comprehend. The next, it goes on to say the seven spirits offers us grace and peace. And the seven spirits it symbolizes the whole of the spirit, which we understand to be within each of us, within each of our hearts. And then within each and every church, while we are individual little temples, Paul says our one body is a temple when we gather together in Jesus' name. Seven spirits is just referencing this completeness because the number seven means all, perfect, complete. And so John says the complete and perfect spirit is offering us grace and peace. And then we come to Jesus Christ who offers us grace and peace. Now you may not know, but the word Christ is not his name. Uh, it wasn't Mary and Joseph Christ. <laughs> it's, it's the Greek rendering of a word that means anointed. It refers to God's anointed. The word in the Hebrew tradition is Messiah. And the word in the Greek understanding of Messiah is the word Lord, which is written Christos, which comes to us in the word Christ. And so Jesus is God's anointed. And Jesus of Nazareth is God's anointed, and he has come to offer us peace, anointed for God's special purpose. And Jesus is also the faithful witness, John says. The word for witness is the word martyr, literally, in Greek, martyr. Jesus is a witness to the reality of God and bore witness even into death. That's what made him a faithful witness. John goes on to call the whole church into faithful witness. And John wrote in a time where death was a very real possibility for anyone who claimed Jesus as king. John goes on to say Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. We are to be faithful witnesses because we know that we will be raised. Jesus is the first of the raised, a proof of our reality to come. And he finally says Jesus is the ruler over all earthly authority, is the ruler, not will be, is. No earthly power can challenge the power of Jesus, which is why we submit to him first, why we are a faithful witness to him first. Even human-made political divisions are no match for the power and presence of Christ within each and every one of us. It's quite the reality. He goes on to say, the one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, who made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and always. Amen. So this understanding of what Christ did, uh, understanding Christ as king, can be spelled out right here in the scripture. So first, Christ loves us. First and foremost, we are told that Christ loves us. The love of Jesus Christ is ever-present in our lives. Jesus is not a tyrant king who works for us to serve him against our will. Jesus never stands and shouts and points fingers and demands loyalty like a bully. We have the full freedom to choose to follow Christ. And when we truly understand the love and the power, I mean, why would we choose anything but the love of Jesus Christ? I'm a firm believer that those who say no to Jesus Christ don't truly understand what Jesus is. The love Jesus has had since before the beginning is still as present and evident in our lives today. Every bit of love and grace we see of Jesus in our gospel stories reflects the pure love and adoration Jesus has for his fellow human beings and beloved creations. And we are called to do the same. Understand that our king came to be with us where we are, came to join us in our world of fear, of doubt, division, impatience and apathy. 
Jesus doesn't stand above us and shame us or even accuse us for where we are in those realities. And you know, understand this, the word for Satan is the word accuser. Accusations come from Satan. If you are accusing, then you are not living as the king, you're living as something else. Jesus comes to be with us where we are, and we are called to go and be with others where they are. In our joy and celebration, Jesus is there to enrich the joy and celebration, just like in the wedding in Cana in the early chapters of the Gospel of John. In our time of tragedy and sadness, in the time of cancer, of divorce, of job loss, of disaster, Jesus is there to give us strength and hope, to raise us up into life, even amidst death, to leave us unbound by pain and despair, just like Lazarus. And in our world of division, and my goodness, are we divided today, Jesus is within the church body to bind us together that we may never tear ourselves apart from one another. That despite our differences in perspective and understanding, through our confidence in the truth, we may find a way to understand one another. And we were given the power to understand one another in the Holy Spirit, just like we see in the story of Pentecost. Jesus Christ, the King, is not a tyrant. Our King is a lover, and he loves us. And there is no greater testimony to this truth, as Paul says, than the fact that he died for us while we were yet sinners. Jesus Christ loves us. It goes on to say that Jesus Christ freed us from our sin. And we've had our eyes opened. When we have the, the spirit within us, we recognize our need for God. And then we've been empowered with the very presence of God and the Holy Spirit to overcome ourselves and the sin that lies within us, within all of us. We know that no matter what sin we've done, any and all debt we ever have had or might have, it's paid. It's paid because the victory has been won. Our hope lies in our confidence of our king's victory. Where Christ's love is ever-present, the work of Christ on the cross for our freedom is ever-present. It was done 2,000 years ago and will forever be accomplished when we truly grasp this reality of God's love as witnessed through Christ's death on the cross. We can no longer contain anything but faith, hope, and love. And when we have those things, we find that sin starts to be cleansed out of us. If Jesus can forgive human nature as it drove the nails into his hands and feet, how can we find any way to live outside of that way of love and forgiveness of Jesus? How can we not be convinced? Now, what is sin? It's important to talk about this because I could ask a million people to tell me the definition of sin, and I guarantee you I would get at least two million definitions. The best way I've come to understand it, the way that I meditate on it, the way I understand it in my own life is come in a, a trio of statements. So I'm going to give you three statements, and then I'm going to walk through them each. And uh, neither one of these contains all the truth that there is to sin, as if to say it's, it's all you need to know. But these three somehow kind of dance around and produce fruit for me uh, to understand sin as I walk into the way of love and out of the way of sin. Number one, sin is our refusal to grow. Number two, sin is our rejection of God's way. And sin three is using others for our own means. So number one, again, sin is our refusal to grow. 
And I really think the second one is just an echo. Our refusal to grow is also our rejection of God's way because God wants us to grow and grow into the way of Jesus Christ. The presence of our King within us through the Holy Spirit is working to perfect us, to bring the fire of God, we call the Holy Spirit, within our souls to refine us, to make us holy, to sanctify us, to cleanse us. There are things in our lives that need to go. Amen? Is it just me? <laughs> and there are things that are not in our lives that need to come and be a part of our lives. We feel this truth daily. And if you are disciplined and you pray daily, then you experience this conviction each and every day in your prayer. Because when we exercise a life of discipline, we come to know of the Spirit's leading more and more. Sin is when we either, A, we don't live that life of discipline because we don't want to grow, we refuse to live into the way, or when we do live into this kind of discipline and we understand where the Spirit is leading us, we say no. We say no. We reject God's way and we refuse to grow. And then that third definition, using others for our own means. This is, this is key. If we live and work in the lives of other people to simply profit for ourselves, then we deny the image of God in others and we have made them into objects. We have objectified them. We've placed ourselves over them and have removed ourselves from the order which God created. We have but one king and that king is Jesus Christ. And we are all subject to Jesus. I am not your king, you are not mine, you are not anyone else's. There is only one king. And this idea of using others for our own means, it manifests itself in an infinite way of reality we see. We see it, we've been a part of it, we've been victim, we've been, we've been the perpetrator. And let me offer you several ideas and you can continue to see how it works in your own life. Number one, sexual abuse, I think, is the most vivid way that people use others for their own means. When you turn someone else into an object for your pleasure, you abuse them. You are sinning. You're in sin. You're using them for your own means. You have made them into an object. And we don't even need to do it physically, literally. We can do it on our minds. When you lust, when you take that person in your mind and you objectify them to make them something for your pleasure, you're denying the natural order. Another way is when we deny people the same rights that we have because we want to feel right. I want to feel right, and if I want to feel right, that means I need to make someone else wrong. And so I come up with all these clever ways, and we do it all the time. We even do it in God's name. And if I can make them wrong, then I am right, and I'm above them, and I am better. I am using them for my benefit. We see companies around us that we buy products from who exploit others in sweatshops. Can you... Can you find a shirt? Can you find an article of clothing in this entire room actually made in the United States? Or is it made somewhere else by children and people getting severely underpaid and overworked? Are they working for our benefit so that we can pay less for our clothes? Or what about these companies that pollute? They, they exploit nature. They abuse nature for their own benefit. They deny God's creation. And you know, we can point fingers at companies, but when we buy their products, we are just as guilty of the sin of their exploitative practices. And those are big ones. Little ways that you can use others. When you mistreat your server at a restaurant, 
when you view them as you're my server. You're no longer a person, an equal. You do my will. Or when you give dirty looks to the cashier when things are taking longer than normal. Or when you refuse to let someone in when you're driving in traffic. Now, I'm, I'm really guilty of this one. I have a hard time. Um, yeah, I have a really hard time, I'll be honest. But if I don't let them in, that means I'm using them to benefit myself. I'm not letting them in so I can, whatever, feel good about myself. Um, I can be an extra two seconds faster to my location. <sighs> Another way that I think this manifests itself when we use others for our own means is when we give no effort to try and understand other people's perspectives. We all have different perspectives in this room, some of us completely opposite on various topics. And when we say we have no interest in seeing your perspective and understanding your perspective, we are refusing to grow. We are shutting other people down and saying your voice is not worth being heard because if your voice is heard, that may mean that I need to reevaluate my own and I don't wanna do that. I wanna feel good, I wanna feel right. And so I'm gonna use you and abuse you so that I can profit and benefit myself. We have heard who Christ is and what Christ has done, loves us and freed us from sin. So what does this mean? And John walks on to say that Christ has made us a kingdom, priests to God. We talk about the kingdom a lot, but do you really think about the kingdom as we are a kingdom? Or do you think of the kingdom as some place to go? The truth is, Christ has made us a kingdom. We are a kingdom. Just as we are a nation, a tribe, a body, a church, we are a kingdom. Before we are anything else, we are citizens of God's kingdom with Jesus Christ as king. If you acknowledge Christ as king, you are a kingdom. Just as the church has never been a building, the kingdom has never been a place to go sometime later. The kingdom is here and now. And before we are American, we are citizens of heaven. Before we are Republican or Democrat, before we are U of L or UK fans, and I know that's, that may be pushing some of you, before we are any human-made category that we have created to perpetuate the sin of division, we are citizens. We belong to the kingdom. We are the kingdom of God with Jesus Christ as our king who dwells within us through the Holy Spirit. As citizens, we follow that law of love first and foremost because love is our biggest Yes, and the reason is, is because God is our biggest yes, and God is love. And Jesus Christ is the embodied love of God, revealed to us fully. And because the Holy Spirit enables us to embody that love of God for others, to clean us out, to make us holy, that we may be priests, that we live our entire lives as a holy and living sacrifice to God out of love. And please don't, please don't understand that we are to live our life out of fear of God. Fearing God and having reverence for God is not our motivation. We live out of love. And if you're living a life of faithful witness so that you might go to heaven, you know, that may just be working for your own end. Do you understand? If you're simply living your life of faith to benefit yourself, you're not living out of love. We need to live a life by the way of the kingdom. We need to live disciplined, ever growing, ever loving, ever witnessing to our faith through sacrificial living, going to people where they are just as our king did for us and does for us. 
We don't lord our faith over them, but instead we lay our lives down for them out of love because that is what our king did and that is what our king calls us to do. We are to take up our cross daily in the name of the one who loves us and freed us. We are the kingdom body of our king. The good news is that in our life of faith, Jesus awakens our hearts to the truth of God's reality. The more we embrace growth through the leading of our king, the more we will have life in his name. The more we embrace growth, the more we will grow into love. The more we embrace the growth through the leading of our king, the more we will live and be the kingdom. The more we will have eternal life in God, here and now and forevermore. And one day Christ will return and every eye will see him. And our lives are to be working to get the kingdom of God into our own lives. We're not working to get ourselves into the kingdom. We're working to get the kingdom into us to prepare for the reality that's coming. The great king will establish the kingdom of God upon all the earth. And so we prepare by establishing the kingdom within our hearts this day. Confident in our hope, in our knowing and understanding of Christ's victory. Christ has done all that is necessary that we might awaken to the truth that we might know our world through God's perspective, that we might see each other through God's love, and that we might go and live our lives as Jesus did for us. My friends, let us live as citizens of Christ's kingdom to be a faithful witness in the name of Jesus who loves us and freed us. Let us go and live more loudly for his kingdom than any of the other kingdoms that call for our allegiance or demand our loyalty. Let us say yes to the love of our king that we may be the kingdom of God in his world for his glory. Amen. Mm -hmm.